Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Very often, NFL fans will ask, what's the worst team of all time in the National Football League? So today we're going to offer and raise a possibility it might be the 1944 Card Pits. If that name sounds unusual... It's because the team came from a very unusual time in the history of the league. With World War II depleting the roster resources of the NFL in 1943, the league was forced to consider some drastic measures in order to field a full schedule during the war. Eventually, nearly 1,000 players, coaches, and other personnel from the league served in the military in World War II, with 21 of those unfortunately paying the ultimate price. Back in Chicago, with both teams struggling to maintain a competitive roster, the Bears and the Cardinals agreed to merge for the 1943 season. However, that proposal was rejected at the NFL meetings in June of that year, or as the Associated Press reported, apparently because of the power that would be concentrated should the Cardinals and the Bears consolidate, the league cut off their attempt by passing a rule forbidding the merger of player talent. Later, however, this was relaxed, allowing the Steelers and Eagles to pool their athletes, but at the same time retain only a single vote in league affairs. The merger will be effective only for the 1943 season. So while the NFL's decision made little or no sense to both Chicago teams, since that's exactly what they wanted to do, was to merge, both teams moved ahead independently. Operating on their own in 1943, the Talent Challenge Cardinals stumbled through an 0-10 campaign, while the Steelers-Eagles combination, called the Steagles, finished strong with a 5-4-1 mark. Meanwhile, the Bears captured the NFL championship for the season. Only the Cardinals, it seems, suffered because of the NFL's decision. Little had changed prior to the 1944 season next year, with Pittsburgh now seeking another partner after the Eagles regained their own independence. And so, this time, the cellar-dwelling Cardinals were asked to merge with the Steelers, where the two clubs would share players, home games, and head coaches. Really, it was an ugly marriage that was destined to falter, despite some early fears by future opponents. For example, Turk Edwards, the line coach of the Redkins, swiftly anointed the new team as the favorite to win the Western Division by stating, The war has been a great equalizer among pro teams, and any teams which merge, no matter what their standings the preceding year, have a tremendous advantage. Ultimately, Edwards was wrong. In Chicago, the Chicago Daily News newspaper watched the first few days of training camp for the team in Waukesha, Wisconsin, and proclaimed that it looks as if the new combine will have a strong voice in the NFL competition this fall. This bit of prophecy is gathered from a glance at the roster of veterans, which the two clubs can throw on the field right now. However, the Chicago Daily News was also wrong. 
The optimism on all sides evaporated quickly as the Card Pits dropped their first three league contests, culminating in a 34-7 defeat at the hands of the Chicago Bears on October 15th. Desperate for players, the Cardinals called lineman Vince Benonis, who was in the military, back for the game against the Bears. For Benonis, it turned out to be both a harrowing and a very tiring weekend. As Benonis said, the Card Pit team was something else. I remember the Cardinals calling me to play against the Bears in Chicago. The only problem was that I was in Wildwood, New Jersey. Although I wasn't in football shape, I finally did agree to play and hitchhiked to Philadelphia Saturday morning and then took a train to New York. From there, the team arranged for a flight to Chicago, but it was hard to get a seat in those days and I couldn't get a plane out of New York until midnight. We puddled jump across the country and didn't arrive until 5 a.m. Sunday morning in Chicago. So I slept a couple hours, went to Mass, and then went right to the field. Although I didn't know the plays, I told myself, what the heck, I wasn't there to play much. When the other center on our team went out, I played almost the whole game, which was tough being out of shape. After the game, I took a plane back to New York, then took a train to Philadelphia, and managed to be back on the base and ready to work at 8 a.m. on Monday morning. After that, though, someone found out and blew the whistle on me. We weren't supposed to play pro football while we were in the service. And then, perhaps not surprisingly, things got worse during the remainder of the schedule as the combined squad finished 0-10, including a final game 49-7 drubbing at the hands of the Chicago Bears. Cardinals veteran tackle Chet Bulger said, We were terrible. You get beat so bad you'd cry. And then Burt Bell, the co-owner of the Steelers, observed, quite honestly, that the season couldn't have turned out any worse than this one. With each weekly loss, the club earned the derision of both fans and the media alike. Aside from the mounting losses on the field, the Card Pits experienced some very strange locker room events, mostly on the Chicago side, that obviously impacted the team's performance on the field. Following that 34-7 loss to the Bears in the third game, Johnny Butler, Johnny Grigas, and tackle Eberly Schultz were each fined $200 for, in quote, indifferent play, as well as for missing practice. Butler, who was the seventh leading rusher in the league in 1943, was also suspended and offered for trade. These rulings infuriated the players, and the Cardinals' pit team decided to go on strike immediately, recalled tackle Chet Bulger. Chet said, Johnny Butler was accused of not trying and was fined a whole game salary. So instead of showing up for practice, we'd go to a bar instead. We did that Monday, then Tuesday, then Wednesday. We did this all week and finally Art Rooney called us all into a meeting and told us that Johnny would get his check. He told us to be ready to practice on Friday. So what did we do? The whole team, uh, we were supposed to get ready to practice early. Well, we got there early and we hid like a bunch of kids from the coaches so they'd think we wouldn't be there. We played terrible on Sunday. And that game was a 23 to nothing loss to the Giants in front of over 40,000 people. The name of the team was beginning to shred as well. The Card Pits label was evolving into Car Pits because they were the Pits. Perhaps the Chicago Tribune was in the forefront of this movement when it described the Giants game thusly. The Card Pits played the role of red plush rug this afternoon as the undefeated Giants paraded over and passed them for a 23-0 triumph. 
Well, this then culminated in the sarcastic renaming of the team from the card pits to the carpets. And why not? Like a patch of carpet on the floor, NFL teams simply walked all over them. Although the season spiraled into a parade of losses, almost every outing contained something of interest for everyone. In a 42-20 loss at Washington, police were called onto the field to stop a near riot when the opposing players encountered some disagreements. Four players were kicked out, including the aptly named Cactus Face Dugan and Tony Bova of the Card Pits. Then, although the Lions chumped on his team by the tune of 21-7, Johnny Grigas had one of the finest game in Cardinals team history by rushing for 123 yards and completing 13 of 30 passes for another 177 yards. He was personally responsible for 300 of the club's 338 yards, which were big, big numbers in those days. The Card Pits didn't play their first home league game in Chicago until November 19th. Again, the Chicago Tribune didn't drop any business for the team with its honest headline that simply said, nothing at stake. Only 3,500 people showed up to watch the Rams coast to a 33-6 victory. Before the final game against the Bears in Pittsburgh, which was a home game for the Card Pits and another loss, this time 49-7, Johnny Grigas mysteriously disappeared from the team. His roommate, Don Curavin, said he discovered a note in their room from Grigas which simply stated, This is the end. Grigas finished second in the league in rushing despite missing the last game. Two teammates insisted that Grigas had indicated that he would not play if the field was frozen. By game time, the field was partly covered by snow. With Grigas gone, the Cardinals finished with minus two yards rushing as a team. Following the Bears game, the Steelers and the Cardinals broke off their engagement and never dated again. The Cardinals' losing streak had now stretched to 26 games over three seasons with no end in sight. And a final tribute, so to speak, of the card pits. The NFL record books rightfully indicate that the league's longest losing streak in history is 26 games enjoyed by Tampa Bay during the 1976 and 1977 campaigns. However, the Cardinals once dropped 29 games in succession from 1942 through 45, but lost the honor of claiming the all-time mark since the 1944 team was comprised of both Cardinals and Pittsburgh players during the war. The dubious streak began when the 1940 season was capped by six straight losses. The team then lost all 10 league games in both 1943 and 1944 to run the losing streak to 26 games. Three more defeats opened up the 1945 schedule before the Cards began receiving an influx of military veterans who had been serving in the war effort. Chief among the early returnees was 27-year-old rookie Paul Chrisman, a second-round draft pick of the Cards in 1941. Chrisman was sorely needed by the Cardinals and was urged by the team, in quotes, to fly home before the ink was dry on the discharge. Chrisman later recalled that, I got as far as Salt Lake City on the plane before an Army Major bumped me. I took the train and reached Chicago four days later. The Rusty Christman still managed to lead the Cardinals past the Bears 16-7 on October 14, 1945 to snap the ugly losing streak at 29. As the Chicago Tribune noted, a speedy group 
of backfield performers humbled the once mighty Bears. The victory was the first for the Cardinals in 30 National Football League games. So how does history remember the 1944 card pits? There's not much to say about an 0-10 team, but perhaps Art Rooney, the founder of the Pittsburgh Steelers, said it best when he said, it was the worst team in NFL history. As we say goodbye to the legendary card pits, please stop by for the next program, which will focus on the wit and wisdom of Chet Bulger, the outstanding Cardinals tackle in the 1940s, who provided humorous insight into nearly every situation he encountered throughout his long NFL career. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. We at the Sports History Network are so glad to introduce to you a new addition to our lineup, Gridiron Greats Magazine Podcast. It's a weekly podcast that focuses on the history and memorabilia of North American football since its inception in 1869. It's hosted by Bob Swick, the publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and Joe Squires, a longtime contributor to that magazine. The podcast was launched in 2017 and has over 150 episodes that you can listen to now on the Sports History Network, as well as your favorite podcast provider. So join Bob and Joe as they go through football history, talking about the memorabilia and the great legendary players and games of the American Gridiron on the Gridiron Greats Magazine Podcast.